At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the The whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hey, Bunk Funkers, it's nice to see you. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Wow. So musical, Andy. You are just a musical... Guy, in fact, I, I'd say you're so jolly and so rosy-cheeked, I'd say you're drunk all the time on wine. Wouldn't you say that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I am so jolly and so fat and so rosy-cheeked that I almost seem like... I didn't say that. I almost seem like I come from the Arctic, like from the northern <laughs> Arctic part of this world. Maybe the personage of Santa Claus. The personage I guess the real energy I have is drunk Santa. You have big drunk Santa energy. (laughs) I have BDS. (laughs) BDSE, big drunk Santa energy. (laughs) God damn it. There's one. Oh, fuck. I fell in the fire again. God damn it. You love putting coal in people's socks. And you love leaving little presents underneath trees. <laughs> I'm a scamp. I'm a jolly fella. But don't cross me. If you're naughty, I'll fucking bring my vengeance down upon you. You love making lists. I do. And <laughs> checking them multiple times. I am a little anal. I like anal. <laughs> you have a... Uh, and you, uh, you have actually have a large farm full of reindeer. That's true. I do. I became a reindeer and farmer about thirty four uh, years ago. You have an army of of small woodland creatures. Yeah, with pointy magical ears, who you uh, make do your bidding. Yeah, not a lot of uh, not a lot of people know this, but uh, I was the third in Watson Crick and Hart, and uh, I was the benefactor of some of the weird DNA experiments that we did where we created a a race of little homunculus type beings and they are totally subservient. Um, They don't have free will. They live only to serve me and they help me tend to my reindeer farm and do my bidding. Wow. Like grocery shopping. 
We've learned a lot about you, Andy, and um, I, I, I'm not happy that we did. And I think a lot of bunk funkers are probably feeling pretty sick to their stomachs. I think every time I reveal a little more about my life, people hate me more and more. And I can feel that energy coming back. And I understand it. Some people might say, Andy, that much like today's topic and much like someone in today's topic, you revealed a little too much to the media. Yeah, people would say that. And maybe some, you got a little ostracized for that. Yeah, some people say I should be more ostracized, uh, <laughs> unlike the subject of today's topic. Yeah. Um, some people feel that I should be cut out completely from society. We, uh, of course, are talking about uh, Japanese Airlines flight. Uh, remind me of the number. 1628. 1628 today, Andy. And this comes to us from a bunk funker. From a bunk funker. This came to us through Instagram, one of the many ways that you can interact with Art and I in social media. Uh, this came through our Instagram at Mr. Bunker Pod. This came from a longtime bunk funker, Long a multiple episode suggester. Multiples. Yeah, multiple. <laughs> multiple episodes. Yep. Uh, a bunk funker by the name of Chris Devlin. Chris. Chris. Thank you so much thank for you, this Chris. topic. Thank you for all the topics hey. throughout the years. We it's hope, actually been years now. We hope the uh we hope the North Sea is uh nice and calm out there. Yeah, days. that's true. Hope we the hope North so. Sea is treating you well. Let's say that, Andy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> treating you a lot better than today's topic. Yeah, we hope you're doing okay above the Arctic Circle because not everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't wait to drop off your little payload or to get our little payload of cargo that we're going to drop off into your mouth in your mind tummy, which of course is the whole enchilada on today's topic, Japanese airline flight 1628, where they encountered a massive UFO. This UFO, Andy, is fucking huge. This is one of the biggest UFOs I've ever heard about. It's massive. Um, this is a massive mothership UFO encounter, uh, airplanes, UFOs, French wine. <laughs> Two, three the, things I think go this together. This is the trifecta. The trifecta. And um, if you can't wait to get all that into your mind tummies, look into the show notes. There will be a timestamp that'll let you skip right ahead to when the research starts, okay? When the topic actually starts. Because first, Andy and I got to update you on our lives. Yeah. Of course, Bunk Funkers, you know, we- We're daddies. We're daddies. We're two daddies. We're daddies. We're two daddies raising our family. We're family men now. We've been changed by becoming family men. We Big finally, old daddy. We finally feel responsibility for other people other than ourselves, uh, both of us. Yep. And uh, we're just doing the best we can trying to raise our undead teenage Sasquatch son, Peon Musk, and our adult baby, David Crosby. So we've had a lot of adventures, and some would say misadventures, but throughout it all, we've really found love we've we've built a beautiful home here in the bunker yeah uh my amateur woodworking is starting to appear all over the place um and my prosthetic arm company is coming along i mean we have so many arms everywhere tell you what though it's prosthetics it'll cost you an arm and a leg little dad humor <laughs> little daddy humor. daddy's humor <laughs> those are for the daddies those are for the daddies if you're not a daddy don't laugh at that don't laugh at that it's not Stop allowed laughing at it Thank you. <laughs> but so, you know what? Daddies to daddies. Andy? Yeah. Daddies to daddies. Sometimes we need a day off. <laughs> Do we ever? Sometimes we need a night off. I mean, look, Art Art and I are only human. We are good daddies. We are perhaps the best daddies despite on earth. Despite how we look. Uh, and despite how we look, yeah, we are, you know, we do need a day off once in a while. Uh, I know we always look good. And we always look refreshed and well-rested. Well, in some people's eyes, we don't look human anymore. Oh, well, yeah, I suppose that's true. I suppose, Bunk Funkers, you're referring to my uh, 
bald, hairless, spherical, glossy body buffed right. out from sleeping on the courtroom floor and right, right, right. Art's frizzy-haired, yeah. uh, makeup-covered body that's been fused with uh, Road Warrior-style armor. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I think, but you know what? We're just two daddies. Like any other daddies out there, just two daddies. And we need a damn night off. Yeah, we do. We still, we have to keep the magic alive in our own relationship. And sometimes we're not fucking. Stop emailing us and asking if we're fucking. Just because we're two, da- we're co-parenting. We're, we're co-parenting. two daddies. Not every daddy has to fuck every other daddy. Yeah. Do you? Go- I mean, we're dad- looking for strange daddies. <laughs> we're each other's wingman. Yeah, we fucking bro out. I mean, daddies to daddies, you don't go to the park and yeah. and go, hey, I see you're a daddy too. Would you like to fuck each other? It's fucked up. Nobody does that unless these you daddies don't swing. No, we, we this these daddies slide into fucking puss. Tons of, I mean, not a lot yet, but it's you know what? Look, there's a lot of responsibilities with yeah. parenting, but there's a thing. You know, obviously, we know we're highly sexual beings, and we know that even despite what some people have called our grotesque appearance that we are very highly fuckable and we know that it's just we're about to be in a waterfall yeah. of vagine yeah. any moment now yeah and i mean that's what we would have wanted to do one night you know these two daddies needed a night off yeah so we got a babysitter we did what most parents any parents do i mean to parents out there this is going to seem so familiar to you we had to get a babysitter for the night so we could have a night out so familiar and you know, like every parent, you know, we're podcasters and being podcasters, you meet, you meet so many people, right? I mean, podcasting is obviously like entrance into the upper echelons of celebrity. Pretty much. I mean, and we've met so many celebrities, most of them retired MMA fighters. And so we called up one of our celebrity pals and we said, Hey, can you come by and, and babysit our adult undead Sasquatch son, our teenage undead Sasquatch son. Okay. Beyond Musk and our adult baby, David Crosby. That's right. And our pal, Iceman Chuck Liddell said, yeah, of course. He said, no problem. He said, Andy and Art, I'd do anything for those guys. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. Chuck kind of mentioned that he's been looking for some good side gigs. I think he's been trying to start a babysitting service Mm -hmm. for himself, you know, and I think it's, he, you know, there's a little bit of scratch and play here. There's a little bit of scratch and sniff going on with Chuck Liddell. Well, you know, scratch and sniff where it's like. We leave him a review and we kind of get his business started. I mean, yeah. I was talking to Randy Couture the other day. He's trying to start a stationary business. So, Andy, we might be using some of Randy Couture's stationary. Yeah. Um it's very it's very good. It's very couture. <laughs> Ken Shamrock is starting a lawnscaping business, so we might, you know, use him to trim up some of the hedges around the bunk. Yeah. Around the bunk. And uh, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was doing my, you know, weekly seance and I was talking to uh, Kimbo Slice's ghost and, uh, 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 you know, even beyond the grave, uh, he's looking to start up a new business uh, where he scares children in their beds at night, <laughs> which I think is a really good move, a really good direction to go for a ghost. Because yeah. so often you don't see that anymore, just the classic hiding under the bed in the closet kind of stuff. It seems so cliche, but I think that's really... That's kind of the beauty of it is that people forget about that kind of ghost. Well, we're bros with a lot of these retired MMA fighters. Right. Um, we know a lot of them. They know us. Um, obviously, you know, uh, we play golf with Boss Rutten 
pretty much weekly. Yeah, we do. We're always hitting the links. Yeah. We're always beating the shit out of Justin Link, and then we're always, um... <laughs> yeah, when we say golfing, we mean... <laughs> We mean we all take golf clubs and we go find our friend Justin Link, uh, you know, videographer, photographer at justinlink.com, and we go beat him up with golf clubs with Boss Rutten. <laughs> it's, it's a good time. You know, we called up Chuck Liddell, and so he came and he decided to babysit the kids, and he's so good with the kids, you know? Oh, my God. Is he ever? He's so he's so loving, so tender. Yeah. Um, you he know, teaches them things like here's pressure points for how to like snap a man's, you know, here's here's how you know when you can snap somebody, dislocate somebody's shoulder. Oh, yeah. Which are things that adult babies need to know. Yeah, honestly, I think if anything, <laughs> you know, I mean, the one thing when you're when you're raising a baby, you know, you want to have the baby get exposure to lots of different types of education because it's a big world out there. Right. And Very babies true. are so receptive to whatever. And it's just great to have somebody like. Iceman Chuck Liddell come in and, you know, really show adult baby David Crosby the yeah. proper way to do a naked chokehold. And especially when he can do it on our undead teenage Sasquatch right. son, Peon Musk. Right. It's just such good family time. A little, little daddy advice to all the daddies out there. If you're not teaching your baby self-defense, you're missing out. If your baby can't kill another baby or an adult human by, mm, I'd say five months... Uh, you better look out. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, you got to set them up for success early on. That's true. And I hate to say that if you didn't do that, you missed the window, but yeah. you might have missed a window. There's a window, daddies to daddies. So Chuck uh, was kind enough, the Iceman himself was kind enough to babysit the kids. The Iceman came with over and babysat <laughs> our kids while two, we went out to party. Two daddies went out to party. And you uh, know how us daddies do. Yeah, we went. Obviously, we went to the hottest place to meet local singles in our area. Yeah. Applebee's. <laughs> and the Applebee's off Route 4. The Applebee's off Route 4 by the Bung Funker, which is, you know, obviously no, none of you know where the bunker is. and uh, But but it's it's a little bit, you take a left at the fourth fortress of Walmarts that cascade around. And yeah, remember, we're in like a ring fort of Walmarts right. because we're in like the epicenter of a Walmart nexus. And then you take a right off of um, Grapevine and then uh, you'll find Route 4. There's mm -hmm. actually a back access. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing. It's a good thing. It's right by the highway. So you got to do kind of like the, the get on the frontage type of road right, right, to right, get right, around right. to Route 4. But then you're going to get right onto that Applebee's and boy, we fucking strut. And I mean, we we take both arms and we fucking push open the doors of the Applebee's. We're fucking, I mean, you better not be standing in front of the door. Because, you know, people always like to line up in the entrance and the front door of the Applebee's. We don't, I mean, I mean there's move. always, always a wait at this Applebee's. Move. Always a wait. And we always come in one at a time because we both can't come in at the same time because right, that's fucking it's, lame. you know, each, we both put one hand, yeah. both hands on the one door and then just fling them open. There's always a wait. People waiting in the vestibule there, and they get whacked with the door. But it's like, hey, we don't have to wait. No. We come to this Applebee's. We have a table. We're here to party. We're here to party. We don't need to wait. We're going to the bar. I mean, this is VIP service. Yeah. Uh, we come in, flip the doors open. We go up to the, the hostess, Jenny. Shoot her some fucking finger guns. She's cool as hell. Yeah, she's flip. cool as hell. Can't wait to get invited to her graduation party for high school. <laughs> I think... I think we're going to make that list. I think we're going to make that list. We, we flip all the buzzers off of her thing. They scatter all over the floor. I take the stack of menus and I like 
hurl them into the dining area. I, and you could tell they're like, okay, these dudes are here to party. Yeah. I steal one of the children's coloring placemats and a box of crayons. I've been, I've been stealing crayons from the Applebee's. I'll admit it. Yeah. He doesn't even do anything with them. There's just a big stash of them here. Peon, Peon and David don't want to play with them. Not even Chuck Liddell. <laughs> Didn't use any of our crayons. We got all these crayons at home. So we get to the bar, of course. You know what we're ordering. Oh, duels. Oh. Well, I was feeling frisky, so I ordered a Virgin Long Island. I always, you know, and I always tell the bartender as loud as possible, <laughs> give me a virgin drink because I'm not a virgin. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need to drink a non-virgin drink because I'm already not a virgin. <laughs> you can give me a virgin drink because I lost my virginity years ago. Eric thinks it's so funny. Oh, Eric's the bartender. Man. And he just, I mean, he, he doesn't laugh as much at it anymore, um, but, you know. Or ever. Yeah. But you can tell he's like, for sure, dude. Yeah. These guys fuck. Yeah. And so, obviously, we're checking out all the strange. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, uh, I mean, I will admit, there were a lot of middle-aged men there. Yeah. The night we went. See, there's a thing amongst um, Applebee's pickup culture is, um, you know, uh, the, the, fine, the finest ladies are called the worms. So because we're at an apple, it's like you want to pick up a worm. Yeah. You know, the worm in the apple. Yeah. Now, you know, it de depending on your Applebee's, some right. of the terminology, it's like, you know, you want to be- Consult the your local Applebee's, like party dudes, you know. You know, it's like guys like me and Art, we're, what, we're what's known in the in the lifestyle, uh, the Applebee's pickup culture lifestyle, as early birds. That's right. Because we always be getting the worms, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we do, we get the Applebee's around 3 p.m. A night out for us starts mid-afternoon. Of course, you know, we need to be back in bed by like 8 p.m. Oh, I get so sleepy. Oh, jeez. I mean... I just load it up on sliders. Yes. I got all-you-can-eat riblets and all-you-can-drink virgin Long Islands. My tummy hurts. <laughs> Erica's always like, so you mean an iced tea? And you're just like, I want a virgin Long Island. Because remember, Eric, I'm I don't. Not a I can drink a virgin drink because I am not physically a virgin. I lost my sexual virginity yeah. years ago. <laughs> I'm pounding O'Doul's. I'm actually pounding them. Yeah, I mean, a mug after mug after mug of O'Doul's. They got O'Doul's on tap there. I think O'Doul's on tap out for. Um, and so in strutted in. I mean, Andy, I think both of our daddy dar went off. Swing. You know what I'm saying? Swing. 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 I mean, this lady was looking fine. Oh so, my god. So familiar about her though. Yeah. God, she had she was the whole package though, I'm telling you. Oh, so long buff. stringy hair, uh really With muscular arms. Incredibly muscular arms. A musk and odor that just permeated Ooh, the whole just room. Just filled the entire Applebee's. Um you know, something about her eyes told me that she has, uh, I don't know, done very illegal activities before. Yeah, you can like tell. Like kidnapping. This is a bad girl. Oh, yeah. We were smitten. We, I mean, this, I mean, Art and I have a friendship that will never die, but we were, this was direct competition because yeah. he and I do not believe in three ways with each other. <laughs> no, that's fucking lame. You'll never catch him and I Eiffel Towering anybody no. for any reason. Well, it's mostly because we're both afraid to make eye contact. Yeah, and I'm afraid of other everything about group sex. So, uh, 
And then so, now, Bunkfunkers, this was like two alpha male rams uh, going at each other. And I want you to picture that and then picture pretty clearly that's what it was. We rock, paper, scissored. Yeah. And then both sat. We both actually we ended up tying three times in a row. Yeah, we don't redo it when we tie. <laughs> we just count that as a one tie. So we did best best two out of three. and We tied all three times. Rock every time for both of us. I mean, at this point, uh, you know the uh, this this fine this fine lady had, had eaten through her uh, appetizer sampler platter of Southwest egg rolls, mozzarella sticks, fried mushrooms, boneless, boneless wings, boneless wings. <laughs> Great choice. By I the mean, way. I mean chips, chips and salsa. And we're talking like this is the. I mean, you know, this is like this is like a cutlass supreme. This is the top of the line type of lady because yeah. she, you know the dipping sauces everything she drinks those up like a shooter yeah she was done. pounding ranch yeah pounding ranch which is my kind of gal <laughs> so we're sitting there she, this this lady's finishing her uh finished up her appetizer <gasps> sampler and uh you know i shout at eric i'm like eric <laughs> get a virgin strawberry daiquiri <laughs> for this fine looking woman here because she looks like a woman who's had sex before. Yeah. And not a virgin. And then I I winked at her and I said, "Wink." <laughs> it's really true. I mean, the whole restaurant heard you were turning heads. Yeah, I was turning I was turning heads. People were muttering under their breaths. I mean, I'm sure they were talking about like, "Oh at man." At this point this I decided about, this dude's about to get laid. This at this point I decided you you had won. You'd won the the uh, rock paper scissors, so I decided I go into wingman mode. Yeah, that's where I'm at. So of course, what I do is I reach over into Eric's little bar area, grab a couple straws, start ripping the tips off them, and I'm shooting straws at her. <laughs> you know, and I'm ripping the tips off, and then shooting the rest of the straw wrapper at yeah. her head, and they're yeah. boom, 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 like bouncing off her head. Women love it when you do that. Oh man, you know and. Eric Eric hates it when we do this, but I also reached over the bar. You know, I want to show off my skills. So I grabbed a whole handful of maraschino cherries, and I I made her watch me eat all the cherries off, so it was just the cherry stems then, and I shoved them all in my mouth. You know, I'm trying to do like a like a barrel full of monkeys kind of thing, yeah, like yeah, tie them all yeah. in knots. Well, you know, of course, you have that reflex, and you just swallow, and so I start choking. Oh, yeah. And But Art, such a good wingman. He came over and did the Heimlich maneuver on That's me. Right. And so I, you know, coughed up a whole bunch of uh cherry stems all over the bar. Yeah. But I think that I think I think she saw like, hey, I have a pretty pretty weak gag reflex, which I think is kind of a big turn on. Now at this point, we have we have gone through at least three or four plates of food. Um I have basically eaten half the sliders in all of Applebee's and you've had basically most of their ribs. Yeah. The riblets. Yeah. It's all you can eat. So we've expended a lot of energy trying to court this fine <laughs> woman. So, uh, we were starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. The itis is starting to kick in at this point from the basket after basket of riblets. I mean, in a gruff, <laughs> you know, very, oh, this is almost very familiar voice. Oh yeah. But this is like, this is like Kathleen Turner. Sure. Kind of voice. She's like, you know, she just kind of saunters over, took the lead and was like, you guys want to come home with me? And we were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sent a quick, uh, uh, 
send a quick sprint uh, walkie-talkie to uh, Chuck Liddell because we have sprint phones with the walkie-talkie function. Yeah. We take, fucking big. Walkie-talkies are cool as hell. Yeah, everybody wants that. You know, I think I think the big thing uh, about it is like it's such a mistake that society went away from that because there's anything that you want. Yeah. It's to be constantly reachable yeah. by every cell phone that's connected to yours uh, without any warning right. or opportunity to turn it off that it just could be there chirping to you at any point. And we said, you know, Chuck, it's going to be a late one. And he <laughs> says, okay, anything past 8 p.m. is double. And we said, yeah, all right, buddy. <laughs> you, hey, hey. We were you, like, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. And um, I, I said, remember... I said, help yourself to anything in the fridge. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you did say that. And uh, <laughs> I do think that Chuck man, ice man, Chuck, Chuck man, ice Liddell. No, that's uh, a different person. Oh, this is a different guy. No, we're talking about ice man, Chuck Liddell. Ice man, Chuck Liddell. I do think ate all the food in our fridge. I should have said, I should have said within reason, within reason. <laughs> then I don't remember what happened. I think. I don't know about you, Andy. I think we got laid, but I woke up here in the studio. Locked yeah. in the studio. Yeah, I don't know. I, I had I ordered another Virgin Long Island and to I go. got real woozy. Yeah. Uh I mean, my dick hurts now. So maybe. Well, I certainly hope that we didn't uh, double team and have group sex because Jeez. that would be so fucking lame. That would be so weird if you and I had sex with each other while that yeah. lady watched us. <laughs> Either way, that's what happened. We woke up uh, in the bunker. You know, we, we don't, don't know. Somebody somebody is doing this to us, putting us in the bunker, forcing us to podcast again. Bunkfunkers, we would love to hear your theories. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but uh, anyway. Yeah, these or we'd two- love to hear about your exploits at your local Applebee's. That's true. Let us know if anybody else there is uh, Applebee's. Anybody else is in the lifestyle? Is in the lifestyle? Know. The Applebee's hookup lifestyle. The Applebee's hookup lifestyle. Let us know and let us know what your tactics are. Um, We'd love to hear if there's any early birds out there. Yeah. Hashtag early birds. Hit or, us up. Or any worms, especially. Any worms. <laughs> we need them. Um, That's why we always wear our so shirts. So many fucking that's families at Applebee's. Yeah, like, I know. Goddamn, where's all the singles? Yeah, I know. This used to be such a singles hangout. I know. It's like nobody, nobody even reacts now when I when we walk in with our t-shirts that say, I got worms at Applebee's. <laughs> God fucking damn it. Used to be people would be like, bro. Yeah. People would be like, they would know what's up. They would high five us. Yeah. Now it's just a different it's, culture. I mean, it's just know, a lot of sending the manager over to complain about us. It's like, what the fuck? It's like, Hey, okay. Okay. Rich. We get it. Yeah. Rich. Oh, that's rich. Literally. Yeah. Well, bunk bunkers. Um, speaking of something else that's rich today, uh, Bouhonnais, what is it? Beaujolais. Beaujolais wine from France. Beaujolais. Quite France rich indeed. Wine. And um, today's topic is rich with UFOs. Uh, UFOs, unidentified flying objects, airplanes up in the sky, the mothership, a big old UFO, likely the biggest UFO we've ever described ever in our lives. <laughs> yeah. This UFO is bigger than our personalities, and um, you know what? This is a big whole enchilada that we're going to bring you, Bunk Funkers. This is Japanese Airlines Flight 1628 here, Mr. Bunkers, Conspiracy Time on Gas. I love you, Beaujolais. (laughs) 
Greetings, wine drunkards. Welcome to Monsieur Bunker's Wine Time. I am your co-sommelier, Andy. With me, as always, is your co-sommelier, Art. Good day, fellow wine-loving wine drunkards. Our most sincere gratitude, or as we like to say, grapetitude. <laughs> For joining us on this very special edition of Monsieur Bunker's Wine Time. <laughs> For you see, today we are exploring the French wines known as Beaujolais, so named for the region in Burgundy in which the grapes are grown. Beaujolais is an interesting wine with an interesting history. You see, wine drunkards, the Beaujolais region began cultivation of grapes during Roman times, and the region continues to grow grapes and produce wines to this very day. While there are a number of different appellations of Beaujolais wine, Beaujolais Nouveau came to take the worldwide market by storm, Beaujolais Nouveau is a vin de premier and the most popular variety. In fact, wine drunkards, you may be surprised to find out that a cargo plane full of Beaujolais, traveling from France to Japan, made headlines due to the captain reporting a purported encounter with aircrafts not of this world. Oh my, how interesting. Uh, uh, an airplane full of Beaujolais sighting extraterrestrial ships in the skies above Earth? Well... I certainly hope that wine was not harmed. <laughs> wine drunkards, whatever the circumstances surrounding this tale of otherworldly visitation, we know you would rather hear more about Beaujolais wine. Excuse me. Maybe I've had a little too much. Or can you ever? <laughs> not in my book. Live, laugh, pray. Although I do suppose it would be interesting to learn more about this possible alien encounter. Hmm. That would be quite a departure for Monsieur Bunker's wine time. As co-sommeliers, are we really qualified to speak on matters such as unidentified flying objects? Andrew, I uh, have a confession. Uh, to be quite honest, I never completed my sommelier by mail course. I, I have never even tasted wine before. Art, I also have a confession. I failed my exam, and all wine tastes the same to me because I once shoved an entire roll of pennies into my nose as a child, and they are still stuck in my sinus. And I can no longer taste or smell anything other than copper. Hey, Andy, maybe this wine stuff isn't working out after all. I mean, I kind of want to talk about that UFO. Yeah, but these people are expecting us to talk about wine. We can't just start talking about extraterrestrial visitation. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I have an idea. Hear me out. <clears throat> oh no! A large novelty wine bottle has become loose from its moorings and is about to collapse on top of our co-Somalia heads, undoubtedly causing us to suffer memory loss and potentially, potentially be unable to continue Monsieur Bunker's wine time. I Oh, ow, ooh, 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 ow, owie, ooh, my head, I sure don't remember anything about wine, but man, am I horny to talk about UFOs here on another fantastic episode 
of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast, huh? Oh, damn. Wow. My head really hurts, too, but I sure can't recall ever knowing anything about uh, wine, did you say? Uh, anyway, guess we'll just have to do your thing about ETs and whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, very cool. So, hey, Bunk Bunkers, today we're talking about the Japanese airline flight 1628 encounter. In the skies above Alaska, a cargo plane packed with wine destined for Tokyo was mysteriously escorted by two unidentified flying objects. Then, after these two objects disappeared, a much larger craft began to follow the plane. This was quite an encounter, and was well documented, and even has radar evidence. We're serving up the entire whole enchilada on this tasty treat of tail. So pop a cork of your tastiest bottle of buhale, and let's get old school. Let's get old school airline pilot tipsy, baby. Woo! <clears throat> so our story begins on November seventeenth, nineteen eighty-six. Japanese Airlines, or JAL. Flight 1628, a Boeing 747 jumbo jet, was flying over eastern Alaska. It was evening time, just past sunset. Flight 1628 was en route from Paris, France, to Narita International Airport in Japan, near Tokyo. The plane was carrying precious cargo, as you already know, Beaujolais wine. At this point, JAL 1628 was headed to Anchorage, Alaska, to complete the Reykjavik, Iceland to Anchorage leg of the journey. The crusty crew of JAL-1628 consisted of Captain uh, Kenju Terauchi, uh, who was formerly a fighter plane pilot and a senior airline pilot for JAL. All told, Captain uh, Terauchi had more than 10,000 hours of flight experience over 29 years. Um, Captain Terauchi's co-pilot, and your co-pilot, was Takanori Tamefuji. The pilots were joined by flight engineer Yoshio uh, Tsukuba, uh, together, the crew had over 46 years experience. This crew had so much experience that people used to call them the cast iron crew because they were so well seasoned. Oh, yes, that's a great point, Art. The only thing in my house slicker and more covered in liquid fat than my cast iron skillet is my body. But seriously, bunk funkers, that's an apocryphal anecdote. Uh, the anecdote about JL1628's crew's nickname, I mean. The anecdote about me is absolutely true. It's the most canonical thing about me that my body is greasy. <laughs> anyway, JAL-1628 flew into Alaskan airspace on autopilot. Uh, excuse me? 46 years of experience to turn on a dadgum computer? Oh boy, here we go. Not back in my day, kiddo. If you wanted to fly a jumbo jet full of young wine from Paris to Tokyo, you strapped in, strapped on, and got the job done without the help of a machine. Except for the machine you had to operate to be doing the thing in the first place. The point is, technology is bad, but only if it's technology that I don't agree with for any reason, no matter how obscure or nonsensical or how little it fits in with my established worldview and or generally stated principles. Okay, you young whippersnappers? Okay, Coomer. Anyway. <laughs> Good lord. Boy, oh boy. Hope we don't hear from that Coomer again. <laughs> JAL-1628 was cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet, traveling 565 miles per hour. At 5.09 p.m. local time, JAL-1628 was a little more than 100 miles northeast of Fort Yukon. The air traffic controller at the Anchorage airport radioed in to give the flight a new heading. JAL-1628 was directed to fly towards um, Talkitna, 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 Alaska, so the flight would go south of Fort Yukon and Fairbanks, Alaska. To get the new heading, the plane turned left roughly 15 degrees. At 5.11 p.m. local time, 
The flight was coming out of its turn, and Captain Terauchi, who was seated to the left side of the cockpit, noticed something to his far left. It looked like two aircraft flying what Terauchi guessed to be about 2,000 feet below the altitude of JAL-1628. Captain Terauchi figured these were just military planes. After all, this was 1986, baby! Cold War was still in full swing, and there were two U.S. Air Force bases nearby JL-26's location. Um, Eilson and a, uh, Elmendorf. Those were the, the, those were the names of the two U.S. Air Force bases. So Captain Terauchi just kind of, uh, you know, he just ignored the other crafts at first. Then he began to realize that the two crafts were flying with JAL to, uh, 1628, matching the 747's flight path and speed. In a later interview, Captain Terauchi actually described it as, quote, like they were toying with us, end quote. Then, at either 5.18 or 5.19 p.m., the two crafts all of a sudden maneuvered about 500 feet directly in front of JAL-1628. The two objects arranged into formation with one above the other. Now, obviously, it takes some effort to go from flying the same speed as an airplane and flying below the airplane to all of a sudden being directly in front of the airplane. To Captain Terauchi, it was not standard aircraft behavior. He described it like this, quote, The thing was flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up, then stopped, then flew at our speed, in our direction, so that to us, it appeared to be standing still. The next instant, it changed course. There's no way a jumbo could fly like that. If we tried, it'd break apart in midair. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity, end quote. As they performed this move, Captain Terauchi said the objects used, quote, a kind of reverse thrust and their lights became dazzlingly bright, end quote. Captain Terauchi also said, quote, then three to seven seconds later, a fire like from jet engines stopped and became a small circle of lights as they began to fly level flight at the same time speed at the same speed as we were showing numerous numbers of exhaust pipes. However, the center area of the ships were uh, where below an engine might be was invisible. From the middle of the body of a ship sparked an occasionally stream of lights like a charcoal fire from right to left and from left to right, end quote. The initial flare of the reverse thrust was so powerful, Captain Terauchi said he could feel warmth from the lights on his face in the cockpit. But Captain Terauchi wasn't the only one seeing lights. His co-pilot, and your co-pilot, Takanori Tamefuji, also saw the lights. He described them as Christmas assorted lights. He said, quote, I remember red or orange and white landing light. And just like a landing light, just like a landing light. In weak green, ah, blinking, end quote. Uh, Tame Fuji said he was sure he witnessed some type of flying craft or crafts. He said it was like seeing, quote, night flight head on traffic, end quote, where you can only see the lights of the craft, but, quote, we cannot see the total shape, end quote. After witnessing all this activity, JAL-1628 radioed into air traffic control. Despite what they were seeing, ground radar did not show any other traffic besides JAL-1628. Even though they weren't on air traffic control radar screens, these objects stayed with JAL-1628 for a while. They flew in a stacked formation for three to five minutes, at which point they moved to a side-by-side formation and flew like that for another 10 minutes. These objects flew with kind of a back-and-forth movement with the jet engine nozzles, so to speak, 
rotating under what seemed to Terauchi as automatic control. The objects were square-shaped, and each had a collection of these nozzles on the back, separated by a darkened midsection. As Temafuji described, the crew could not make out the whole shape of the objects, but Captain Terauchi felt like they might have had a cylindrical shape if seen from a different angle uh, than the crew's vantage point. He thought a cylindrical shape could explain the movement of the nozzles. Here's how Terauchi described the crafts in his own words, quote, Its shape was a square flying 500 feet to 1,000 feet in front of us, very slightly higher in altitude than us. Its size was about the same size as the body of a DC-8, end quote. DC-8s, Art? Oh, boy. Those are the planes that uh, looked like the spaceships used by the evil space dictator Zeno, Zenu, to transport billions of frozen excess extraterrestrials from his galactic confederacy to Earth, or Tigiak, dropped around volcanoes where hydrogen bombs were then dropped in the volcanoes to detonate them and kill the ETs, stranding their wayward souls on Earth. Carry on my wayward soul. Zenu killed you, that asshole. Now you're stuck inside my body. Don't you jerk me off at night while I'm asleep. Although if you want to, that's totally cool with me. <laughs> Not saying you have to, but if you feel like it, go for it. Please. Bow, bow. Wow, wow. Jerk me off. Once I came from all those aliens jerking me off. Okay. <laughs> Kansas. Great band. Great band. Great state. So not only did these objects have extreme flying capabilities, but also a, a novel construction, they also seemed to disrupt the communications of JAL-1628 with air traffic control on the ground. After the objects appeared, transmissions from the plane to the ground became garbled. Here's something else that's pretty interesting. Captain Terauchi tried to take a picture of the objects, but was not able to get the shot. Apparently, at some point, while these objects were in front of the plane, Captain Terauchi asked flight engineer Yoshio um, Tsukuba to get Captain Terauchi's camera from behind the captain's seat, which was right next to Tsukuba's seat. Tsukuba got the camera and gave it to Terauchi, but I guess Captain Terauchi only knows about flying planes and not using a camera. <laughs> Maybe if that camera had an autopilot, he could figure it out. Okay, Coomer. Coomer. Okay. So, here's how Captain Terauchi described the camera incident. Quote, I thought perhaps it is one of those things called UFO, and taking a photo might help to identify the object later. I asked to bring forward my camera bag that was placed in the rear of the cockpit and, bring, and began to take a picture. The area in which the plane was flying was unchanged, but the lights were still moving strangely. I had a ASA 100 film in my camera, but the lens kept adjusting and never could set focus. I changed autofocus to manual focus and pressed the shutter, but this time the shutter would not close. Then our aircraft began to vibrate and I gave up taking a photo. I placed the camera back in the camera bag and concentrated on observing the lights. End quote. Then, suddenly, at 5.23.13 p.m., the objects flew off, disappearing below the eastern horizon. At the point, at, at that point, oh, at the point where the objects disappeared, Captain Terauchi became aware that there was now a dim band of light 
which appeared to be traveling the same path, same speed, and altitude as JAL 1628. To investigate, Captain Terauchi had the onboard radar scope set to 25 nautical mile range. The onboard radar registered a hit at the 10 o'clock position from JAL 1628, roughly 7.5 nautical miles away. Captain Terauchi later recalled, quote, There it was on the screen. A large, green, round object had appeared seven or eight miles away, end quote. I know it's tempting to uh, jump to conclusions here, bunk funkers, and to just assume that what Captain Terauchi and crew encountered was a giant flying Larry the Cucumber. But you might want to stretch before you make a jump like that. Yeah. Uh, so check this out. JAL 1628 notified air traffic control about the radar hit. The radar at Anchorage air traffic control did not pick up anything other than JAL 1628. The object was similarly not found on the radar at nearby Fairbanks, Alaska. But Anchorage had been in touch with the radar operator at Elmendorf Air Force Base's NORAD Regional Operations Control Center since about 20 seconds after the first two objects disappeared. After a few minutes, the radar at Elmendorf began to pick up a, quote, surge primary return, end quote, directly in JAL 1628's flight path. This bears a little explanation. Uh, what they meant by a surge primary return is that the radar pinged an object, but the object didn't ping back. See, when, with a commercial airliner like JAL 1628, the plane is equipped with a transponder. So radar signals will pick up the presence of the plane during their sweep but the plane will also detect the signal and ping back the radar with details about the plane. Like with JAL-1628, the radar picked up the plane in the sky and JAL-1628's transponder sent back some data to identify the flight to the radar operator. So what I'm saying is that there are two signals. When you only see a primary return, that is the first ping, the radar is picking up an object, but there's no transponder response. God damn! If I didn't know any better, I'd try to seduce you right this second. Because you sound like a bona fide pilot, Andy. I feel like I'm sitting next to a real-life Sky Chad. But then I remember it's you. And all my dreams crumble into oblivion. Well, you'd be surprised how often I hear that. Anywho, JL1628 began to approach Fairbanks. The lights from the city made, uh, and maybe the lights from uh, Eilson um, uh, Air Force Base, too, you know, they shed a little light on this mysterious object. Captain Terauchi believed he saw the outline of an enormous spaceship, which he would eventually refer to as a mothership. The descriptions and of size of this object have been varied a bit in, in, in different accounts, with it being described as, quote, twice the size of an aircraft carrier, end quote, in one retelling, or, quote, several times, several tens of times larger than a jumbo jet, quote, in other, or or maybe as the size of one aircraft carrier, or maybe four aircraft carriers. Look, bungfuckers, regardless, this thing was big. Big. <laughs> this thing was huge. I think we should take a moment, bungfuckers, to appreciate just how truly massive aircraft carriers are so we can properly understand how big Captain Terauchi thought this object was. The USS Gerald R. Ford is a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, commissioned in 2017. At the time, it was the largest aircraft carrier in the world and, by displacement, the largest warship ever built. The displacement clocks in at 100,000 tons of water when the ship is fully loaded. 
The ship is over 1,000 feet long and almost 250 feet tall and has 25 decks. This thing can carry more than 75 aircraft on board. That's a big-ass boat. <laughs> big-ass boat. So while this thing was big, as big as or bigger than an aircraft carrier, it sure didn't look like one. In a post-encounter drawing, Captain Terauchi rendered the object as a walnut-shaped craft. So it had a large, it had large dome-like shapes on either side of a wide, flat brim. Unlike the first two objects, Captain Terauchi was the only member of the crew to get a good look at this thing. It was outside the view of their co-pilot, your co-pilot, Tamafuji, and Tsukuba's seat was behind both Terauchi and Tamafuji, so Tsukuba's uh, field of vision was uh, already limited a bit. Tsukuba said he found the object, quote, very difficult to see, end quote, and vague, despite that the object was visible for, quote, a total of 30 minutes, end quote. Given that this object was huge, fast, and pretty close to JL-1628, the crew coordinated with air traffic control to take evasive maneuvers to avoid a collision, which is what Captain Terauchi feared might happen. JL-1628 dropped its altitude from 35,000 feet to 31,000 feet. Anchorage Air Traffic Control then asked JAL-1628 to perform a 360-degree turn, mainly to see if the object was following the plane. During the turn, the object appeared to go behind JAL-1628, and this maneuver was observed on radar at uh, Elmendorf, which reported an unexpected radar target near the plane. As before, it was a primary return only. By the end of the turn... The object was in the same relative position to the plane as before. Anchorage offered to have military craft fly up to check things out, but Captain Terauchi declined the offer. In a later interview, Terauchi described why he declined. Quote, We would not request scramble. We turned down the offer quickly. I knew that in the past, there was a U.S. military fighter called the Mustang that had flown up high for a confirmation, and a tragedy had happened to it. Even the F-5 with the newest technology, had no guarantee of safety against the creature with an unknown degree of scientific technology. Quote. The incident Captain Terauchi referred to was the death of Captain Thomas Mantell. Captain Mantell was an Air National Guard pilot who died in a P-51 Mustang crash in 1948. Captain Mantell was sent into the air to investigate a UFO. According to the Project Blue Book investigation, Captain Mantell may have been following a top-secret, at the time, Skyhook balloon. Captain Mantell made a steep climb in pursuit of the object and blacked out at high altitude, at which point his plane spiraled downward, crashing and killing him. So you can understand why Captain Terauchi was hesitant. Despite all that, a military C-130 aircraft called Totem was already in the skies above Alaska at the time and offered to fly by and check out what was going on. Totem did not ultimately get a visual of the object. Then at 5.42.24 p.m., Elmendorf radar lost the anomalous um, target. At 5.42.35 p.m., Captain Terauchi reported still having eyes on the craft. Around that time, a United Airlines passenger flight, flight number 69, nice, nice, uh, which had taken off from Anchorage around 5.40 p.m., was nearby. Air traffic control asked UA-69 to come around and see what the heck was going on. UA-69 uh, was flying at 29,000 feet altitude, while JAL-1628 uh, JAL was still at 31,000 feet. Air traffic control asked both planes to maintain altitude and routed UA-69 so that it could pass within five miles 
of JAL 1628. As UA-69 neared, Captain Terauchi relayed that the, quote, mothership was further back from JAL 1628, now about 10 miles behind to the left. It's worth pointing out that it was too far away for the plane's weather radar to accurately give a distance. So that's just Captain Terauchi's guess. UA-69 did its flyby and didn't see anything. By this time, JAL-1628 was no longer, had also no longer had visual of the craft. So by 5.51 p.m., this mothership was completely gone. Captain Terauchi said later, when the United plane came by our side, the spaceship disappeared suddenly. The strange encounter ended 150 miles away from Anchorage, end quote. In another interview, he said this, quote, when the United plane came by our side, the spaceship disappeared suddenly and there was nothing left but the light of the moon, end quote. Bunkbuckers, pick your favorite of those two quotes. Yeah, they're great. Ultimately, Captain Terauchi said JAL-1628 was followed over Alaska by these objects for 400 miles. Thankfully, though, JAL-1628 landed safely in Anchorage at 6.20 p.m. with all of its wine intact. While that would make a good ending to this story, it would feel a little bit unsatisfying. But never fear, Bunk Funkers, there's more to this tale to satiate your throbbing curiosities. Due to the nature of the encounter in the skies above Alaska, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, interviewed the crew of JAL-1628 immediately following their landing. FAA official Jack Wright and agents James Derry and Ronald Mickle conducted the interviews. Jack Wright's notes from the initial interview have some interesting quotes, like, quote, I received a call from Dick Powers concerning a JAL flight, which the captain had stated he was being followed or shadowed. I observed the aircraft land at 1820 hours, 620 p.m. No other aircraft was noted, end quote. Uh, excuse me, Dick Powers? The name of my stripping magician alter ego? How the fuck did they know? <laughs> I don't know. This is like identity theft 101 here. <laughs> fuck. Dick Powers? Jeez. Anyway, Wright didn't really find anything amiss about the plane or the crew. Quote, nothing different with the cargo except some expensive wine. The captain and crew were shook up, but professional. End quote. James Derry conducted the second interview with the crew. Derry's report confirms the object was on the radar screens at Elmendorf. Quote, upon completion of my discussion with the crew, I called Captain Stevens, duty officer to NORAD, and asked if he had any questions other than what I had asked. He said he had no other questions but they also showed two targets on radar. One was JAL. He stated that they would give all the data to intelligence in the morning. I then asked Bobby Lampkin by phone if the Air Force was holding the data, and he said yes, end quote. Ronald Mickey was present during the second interview as well. Mickey's report stated this. Through a confidential source at JAL, it was stated to me that this is not the first sighting of an unidentified aircraft by Captain Terauchi. Now, this is interesting because Jack Wright's report of the initial interview said this, quote, the captain stated that this was the first time that anything like this had happened to him, end quote. And that's interesting because in the official FAA report filed, Captain Terauchi referred to the object as an unidentified flying object. So, you know, Captain Terauchi was or wasn't a multi-time unidentified aerial object experiencer. Those are those are pretty much the only ob yeah, options. He either was or he wasn't. He either was or he wasn't. He turned left or right. Yeah. 
Um, and you'd think the only option for the FAA would be to investigate this further. Well, the JAL 1628 incident got reported to the FAA HQ in D.C., uh, Washington, D.C., that is. But the FAA did not initially take further action. Then, in December 1986, Captain Terauchi sat for an interview with reporters from Japan's Kyoto News. The story was published on December 29, 1986, and just like me at the pool, the story made quite a splash. First of all, Captain Terauchi got grounded by his lousy, stinking mom and dad, I mean, employer, Japanese Airlines. They didn't make Terauchi stay in his room, but he definitely wasn't allowed to play video games or talk on the phone or go out flying commercial airliners with his friends. Gah! I bet he couldn't wait till he could move out and do whatever he wanted to when he wanted to. Gah! But anyway, JAL relegated Captain Terauchi to a desk job, all because they didn't like him talking to the media. A few years later, Terauchi was reinstated as a pilot. Before the story was published, though, on December 24th, 1986, Kyoto News contacted Paul Stuckey, who was the FAA's information officer in Anchorage, Stuckey confirmed the JAL 1628 encounter to Kyoto News, which was part of their story. Well, after the story was published on the 29th, it got picked up by lots of other new agency, news agencies who ran stories on the Kyoto News story. We told you, this story was exactly like me at the diving competition at Senor Frogs in Cozumel. It made a big splash and soaked anybody within 500 feet. The story was popular with the press because it has a lot of elements not usually present in reports of UFOs. Like number one, not only was the object witnessed in the air, but it was also tracked by radar on the ground and a military radar at that. Two, the in-air witnesses were experienced airline pilots. And three, the FAA's response seemed to confirm the whole thing. One of the media outlets that picked up the Kyoto News story was United Press International or UPI. UPI also contacted Stuckey on December 29th to follow up on the Kyoto News inquiry. I mean, given all the media heat burning up the Alaskan tundra, the FAA in Alaska contacted John Callahan, who was an FAA official. FAA Alaska wanted Callahan's take on what to tell the press. News of the JAL 1628 incident was news to Callahan, who assumed that it was probably the result of a test flight of a stealth bomber, which was under development at the time. John Callahan asked the Alaska FAA office to send any of the data that they had on the incident to the tech center in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Under the boardwalk, down by the sea, the FAA tech center is where I'll be. Under the boardwalk, boardwalk. After they got done gambling and tanning, <laughs> John Cal you know how those F.A. guys do. Oh, my God. They love to party. This is real, some real Jersey Shore shit here. John Callahan and his superior at the FAA played back the radar data, syncing it with the voice tapes. This confirmed what we already told you, bunkfunkers. Anchorage Air Traffic Control didn't have the mystery object on their radar, but it was clear from the voice tapes that Elmendorf did have the object on radar. John Callahan said this, quote, the military controller has what they call height-finding radar, and they have long-range radar and short-range radar. So if they don't catch it on one of their systems, they catch it on the other. Ours wouldn't record it. End quote. The data from the military radar showed that the unknown objects were traveling thousands of miles an hour. 
The data also revealed some interesting information about when UA69 stopped to check on JAL1628. If you recall, when UA69 approached JAL1628, UA69 saw absolutely nothing. And JAL1628 then lost sight of this mothership. Well, the military radar data showed that the unknown, unknown object became invisible to the two flights because it went behind UA-69 and started following that flight. This is a promiscuous damn little UFO. I mean, now look, I'm as free-spirited as the next guy, but this is a little fucking ridiculous. Pick a lane. <laughs> yeah, jeez. You're gonna now, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a UFO STI. Yeah. Unidentified STI. Yeah. Now, equipped with all this information, Callahan and his superior briefed Vice Admiral Donald Engen the next day at FAA HQ. Engen watched the uh synced radar data and voice recording and told the other officials to keep the whole thing quiet until they were told it was okay to say anything. They were also told to put together a presentation for government officials the next day. Among the attendees at the meeting were representatives from the FBI, the CIA, and from U.S. President Reagan's scientific study team. According to John Callahan, at the end of the meeting, everyone was sworn to secrecy and told that the meeting, quote, never took place. John Callahan also said that the officials felt that the radar data was the first such recorded data on a UFO. He also said that the officials present took all the meeting materials, but he also said he kept the original video of the radar data synced with the audio, Captain Teruchi's report of the incident, and the FAA's initial report. So, you know, I guess the officials didn't get quite all of the information. Uh, printed copies of the computer data were also later found, which show all targets in the sky at the same time. Regardless of what uh, happened to the meeting materials, the FAA was getting hounded by dogged journalists. All the press scrutiny led the FAA to launch a three-month-long investigation into the JAL-1628 incident. The FAA held a press conference on March 5, 1987, to share the findings. At the presser, Paul Stuckey uh, discounted the idea that the incident had resulted in a confirmed radar hit on a UFO. Instead, Stuckey said the anomalous radar target was the result of a, quote, split radar image, end quote, that just happened to show up at the same time the JAL-1628 crew was seeing weird stuff in the sky. Now, basically what the FAA is saying here is that there was a mirror, like minor uh, temporary malfunction in the radar equipment, which caused the primary radar return, and remember that's the ping from the radar sweep, to be uh, separated from the secondary or transponder return. When this happens... It looks like there are two separate targets in the sky, okay? Stuckey said, quote, the FAA did not have enough material to confirm that something was there, end quote. And though they were, quote, accepting the descriptions by the crew, end quote, they were, quote, unable to support what they saw, end quote. And while Stuckey seemed determined to piss all over the raging extraterrestrial speculation fire, the FAA released a lot of documents to press uh, to the press at this news conference, in so doing, the FAA also revealed yet another UFO sighting above Alaska. The documents showed that on January 29, 1987, at 6.40 p.m., Alaska Airlines Flight 53 noticed a speedy, unknown object on their plane's weather radar. The flight was cruising at 35,000 feet, about 60 miles west of McGrath, Alaska, on its way from Nome to Anchorage. The weather radar picked up a target at 25 miles range, straight ahead of the plane. 
The crew of Flight 53 was not able to visually identify the object in the sky, but did see that the object was moving pretty fast on the radar. The radar sweeps happened about every one second, and with each sweep, the object moved five miles away, which were shot to a speed of roughly 18,000 miles per hour. While Flight 53 had this on their onboard radar, the object was st- was outside the range of Anchorage air traffic control, so ultimately, there was no other radar data to support what Flight 53 said they observed. Overall, JL-1628 Wild Ride was a pretty compelling tale of a potential extraterrestrial encounter. But, as is always the case with these types of things, you know there are some bloated, sweaty skeptics ready to take a fat, cynical shit all over the crew in their pristinely cleaned uniforms. Captain Terauchi probably stayed up all night carefully laundering and ironing his uniform only to have this nasty little skeptic rush in after eating hot wings all day and all night and spray his anal doubt all over the place. It gets me peeved, bunk funkers. Anywho, (laughs) anal doubt. Not long after JL's 1628's fantastic voyage, and even less long after the story hit the papers on January 22nd, 1987, the organization succinctly named uh, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, or PSYCOP, C-S-I-C-O-P, published a press release titled UFO Mystery Solved. Bold. Bold title, Cotton. Let's see if it works out. This somewhat controversial UFO debunker, Philip J. Class, was the author of the release. In the report, Class claimed that on November 17th, 1986, the night of JL 1628's encounter, Jupiter was a very bright, oh Jesus, was very bright in the night sky and could be seen in the same area where Captain Terauchi spotted this, quote, mothership. According to the report, at least one extraterrestrial object was involved, the planet Jupiter, and possibly another, Mars. According to class, Mars and Jupiter were pretty close together which would explain the initial sightings of two lights. The report said, quote, Jupiter was only 10 degrees above the horizon, making it appear to the pilot to be roughly at his own 35,000 foot altitude, end quote. Class also said that Mars could be seen that night closer to the horizon and to Jupiter's right, but was not as bright as Jupiter. Class reviewed a copy of the radio transcripts from that night and noted the crew of JL-1628 never mentioned seeing Jupiter or Mars, though they would have been easily visible to the crew. Phil Class also had issues with Captain Terauchi's assertion that the unknown craft followed JL-1628 during its 360-degree turn. Class based this doubt on information shared by FAA spokesperson John Lydon. Lydon quoted a summary of the radio chatter between JAL-1628 and air traffic control, which made it clear that JAL-1628 lost sight of the mothership during the turn, but then the object reappeared a bit after JAL-1628 completed the turn. Class also offered up an explanation for the anomalous radar target, saying it was a radar echo from the mountains below JAL-1628. Now, as we mentioned, Class's report came out pretty close to the incident, and Class did not have all the information that would eventually be released to the press. Remember, the FAA's own investigation didn't finalize until March of 1987. So, in the end, Class's debunking efforts didn't end up making total sense when considered against all the evidence that was eventually available. But, not to worry, Class came back with a different explanation later in 1987. In an issue of the CSICOP publication Skeptical Inquirer, 
Class said the whole thing could be explained by, quote, turbulent ice crystals, end quote. No, Punk Funkers class did not mean the little-known pop girl group from the early 1960s, but actual ice crystals in the sky. Class said the turbulent ice crystals, quote, could have generated flame-colored lights, and, quote, this would also explain why the undulating lights would periodically and suddenly disappear and then reappear as cloud conditions ahead changed. When the aircraft finally outflew the ice clouds and initial UFO disappeared for good, the captain would search the sky for it, spot Jupiter further to the left, and conclude it was the initial UFO, end quote. Class further blamed the ice crystals for causing the anomalous radar targets, saying it was, quote, an echo from thin clouds of ice crystals, end quote. Ooh, these ice crystals. They're the mischievous teens of the skies. Oh, okay, Coomer. We get it. My friends call me Coomhauer. King of the Coom. Big old man, man, man. As it turns out, JAL 1628 was the UFO sighting that Philip J. Class just couldn't quit. Class wrote about the incident in his 1997 book, The UFO Invasion. In the book, Class wrote, quote, The FAA information reveals Terauchi to be a UFO repeater and two other UFO sightings prior to 1970, November 17, and two more this past January, which normally raises a, quote, caution flag for any experienced UFO investigators. The JAL pilot is convinced that UFOs are the extra, are extraterrestrial when describing the lights. Terauchi often used the term spaceship or mothership. End quote. And maybe the criticism of Captain Terauchi is not undue. The January sighting class pointed out involved Captain Terauchi reporting yet another UFO sighting in about the same area as the JAL 1628 encounter. But in January 1987, so not too long after the initial incident, the January sighting was attributed to lights on the ground bouncing off of, you guessed it, ice crystals in the sky according to FAA officials. What's more, according to Paul Stuckey, Captain Terauchi agreed to, that the FAA's explanation was reasonable. I think it's worth mentioning, though, that Captain Terauchi's January sighting happened around the same time as the McGrath sighting, which was revealed by the FAA in its March 1987 press conference. So it's not like Captain Terauchi was the only one seeing things in the Alaskan sky. I mean, people are seeing stuff. Tara Uchi wasn't the only one seeing strange objects, and Phil Class isn't the only skeptic boarding JAL 1628. <laughs> Other skeptics find discrepancies in the crew's stories of the event. For example, JAL 1628's co-pilot, your co-pilot, Takanori Temafuji, asked air traffic control about traffic above, which would mean objects at a higher altitude than JAL 1628. But in an interview more than a month after the event, Tamafuji remembered the lights being lower than JAL 1628's altitude. The thing is, Captain Terauchi also remembered the lights being at a lower altitude than the jet, so it seems incongruous that Tamafuji mentioned traffic above the jet. Tamafuji also estimated the lights were, quote, one mile about, end quote, distance from JAL 1628. That estimate doesn't agree with Captain Terauchi's estimate that the objects were, quote, 500 to 1,000 feet, end quote, away which was included in written testimony given by Captain Terauchi a bit more than a month after the incident. Now, in the crew's defense, bunk bunkers, these were not native English speakers, trying to communicate a strange experience to air traffic control in English. 
So it does kind of make sense that maybe the radio chatter doesn't exact, exactly agree 100% with later written testimony or interviews given in Japanese. One potential example of this is the limited description of the colors of the lights given to air traffic control. In later recollections, the crew described many more colors than what was said to air traffic control. While this might make the uh, story seem inconsistent, it's also possible that the limited description is the result of a language barrier. Now, handsome felon, guilty of stealing our hearts. Oh my goodness. Handsome Brian Dunning of Skeptoid also has offered um, an explanation for what happened above Alaska that fateful evening. According to Notorious HBD, (laughs) HBD, handsome Brian Dunning, the unknown radar target was the result of a delay between the primary radar return and the secondary transponder return. The delay caused the radar to show two separate targets. So this was basically what Paul Stuckey said during the March 1987 press conference. Dunning points out that aside from Stuckey's statement, a later released by the FAA, a letter released by the FAA has the following information. Quote, enclosed is a copy of the radar computer printout for the JAL 1628 flight. It clearly shows the uncorrelated returns and the fact that the data was not returning to the center at the same time. This accounts for the uncorrelated target returns and the distance between them as the aircraft continued the move. End quote. Well, which I guess explains things if you believe the government. <laughs> Not unlike Phil Class, though. Brian Dunning also calls into question Captain Terauchi's reliability in assessing what was seen that night. Dunning reports that Captain Terauchi reported seeing UFOs five times, two times before JAL 1628 incident, and two times after. Of course, the two times after were the two sightings that were explained to be village lights bouncing off of ice crystals. Beyond all that, Brian Dunning also questions the conspiracy behind the JAL 1628 incident. If you remember, John Callahan, the former FAA official, told a story about a high-level government meeting where the attendees were sworn to secrecy and meeting materials were confiscated, despite John Callahan having them and also some being found later. Regardless, it was a cover-up. It was covered up. Well, Dunning points out that Ryan Dube, founder... What's up, dude? Uh, Founder and editor of the site Top Secret Writers tried to verify Callahan's claim about the meeting. Dube got in touch with Ron Pandolfi, who was a former CIA analyst. Pandolfi said the meeting happened and that he was at the meeting, but that nobody tried to cover it up because it was already being reported in the press. Remember, this meeting happened after Captain Terauchi sat for the interview with Kyoto News. Pandolfi also told Dube that Dr. Bruce McAbee, uh, the, the ufologist, was in attendance. Dube contacted Maccabee, who confirmed he went to the meeting and that he received the data to do analysis and to issue a report. So the government basically handed over the data to a ufologist to do a study and publicly issue a report, which, you know, doesn't read like a very good cover-up strategy. Uh, For what it's worth, Callahan's testimony may just be a miscommunication. Pandolfi recalled that Maccabee and Callahan were talking to each other, and Maccabee mentioned delaying the release of information. So Pandolfi speculates that Callahan may not have known who Maccabee was and maybe thought Maccabee was a quote-unquote CIA guy. (laughs) So to the skeptics, there are some simple explanations for what could have happened to JAL 1628. They also see a multiple UFO reporter in Captain Terauchi painting the captain as a believer who maybe wanted to have an out-of-this-world encounter while still on this world. 
They also see little evidence of a um, concerted cover-up in a well-documented, extensively studied incident. Skeptic Robert Schaefer, Robert, Robert, Robert Schaefer sums it up like this, quote, The bottom line is, Teruchi's own flight crew saw only lights, and other aircraft checking out the situation saw nothing unusual, end quote. As for Captain Teruchi, here's how he summed it up, quote, We were carrying Beaujolais, a very famous wine made in France. Maybe they want to drink it, end quote. But what do you believe, bunkfunkers? Are you sipping the wine from Captain Teruchi's magical flying machine? <laughs> Was this truly one of the most credible UFO sightings of all time? Or just a glitchy radar and an ET-loving captain? Either way, this plane's boarding. So stow your carry-ons, buckle your seatbelt, and put out your cigarettes, cigars, joints, blunts, and cork up pipes. And make sure your tray is up. We're shooting off for the stars. Our destination? Mind Tummy Town. And our precious cargo? Why, that be a 747 full of the whole enchilada. Running. Over. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ooh, it sure is chilly outside, Art. Andy, where's your jacket? Art, did you hear me? The wind chill is 30 below. Andy, I think you have hypothermia. You know, Art, with the horrific chilly weather outside, the only thing that'll warm me up is listening to Andy and Art Debunked, available only on patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. Are you seriously shilling our Patreon right now? Oh, Art... Laughing at the antics of Andy and Art is all the warmth I need. And for just $5 a month, I get access to all the episodes of the show, behind-the-scenes updates, sneak peeks at episodes, and I can chat with Andy and Art on the Bunker Discord. Andy, we need to get you to a hospital. We need to get me to patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. so chilly. Oh, God. I'm shilled to the bone. Welcome back, Bunk Bunkers. That was our research of the JAL 1628 UFO encounter. Whew. Oh, my goodness. So much stuff. Wow. This is quite an encounter. This is quite an encounter. Um, you know, you got you got you got the real uh the trifecta, the hat trick here, you know. It's like very experienced observers. Uh we're talking airline pilots, many hours of flight time. Uh we're talking radar targets yeah we're talking 
I mean, military radar. We're talking uh, basically that the government kind of said, yeah, yeah. At first it was like, yeah, this happened. Yeah, something weird fucking happened. Something weird fucking happened. Um, I, you know, I, I, I want to give, I want to give some props to Captain Terauchi. Okay, I think these skeptics are shitting all over him. Okay, I think he's an honorable guy. Said no, don't th- don't do a scramble. I'm concerned for that pilot's life. Yeah, that's honorable. Yeah, it's true honor, Andy. Yeah, that's something you and I don't possess. No, I would have said scramble. Please get somebody up here who can shoot this thing down. I don't want to. And I would have said, yes, scramble, please. Make it to Denver. <laughs> I'm out west. Ham, make it to Denver. Ham, green peppers, onions. Oh, baby. Give me a side of hash browns. Oh, yeah. Home fries. Oh, yeah. Cottage fries. <laughs> all three. <laughs> all three. That's a lot of, that's a lot of potato. Uh, it's a good way to start your day. Potatoes give you that energy. Yeah. <laughs> they don't make you feel heavy or bogged down. No. Um... I mean, I think he's an honorable guy, and you know what? God, the skeptics in these stories are such buzzkills. <laughs> God, they're such buzzkills. Yeah, they are. Aren't they? For sure. Like, it's like, God damn, dude. Again, with the Jupiter shit. It's always his answer to everything. With yeah. class. He said the Jupiter thing for um, Phoenix Lights, right? Um, I don't remember what he... I don't... I mean, oh no, he said it for Tehran UFO. Phil Class has come up a few times. Yeah. I think when we're talking about, you know, potential extraterrestrial craft, and he's just he's he's you know Phil Class has an agenda, yeah. right? Like he's not a believer. I mean, obviously he's he's setting out to debunk things. Right. He doesn't want to find that it's true, uh, and that's kind of like some of the problem that people have with him is that he's. You know, rather than just saying like, well, here's the evidence. It's like he's going out to set out the debunk. And I don't know. This is one of those where I'm like, this this is a lot like Tehran to me. Wow. The the spacecraft, not as cool as Tehran. We keep talking. We always talk about that. Tehran UFO, very cool spacecraft. Very cool. Um, In this case, it's kind of like, you know, it's a lot of stuff happening all at once that the skeptics have to explain. Right. Right. And... While I don't think this is is as much of a stretch as the explanation for Tehran was, where it's like there's a fl- there's a flare falling out of the sky at the same time that this thing is happening and this other thing is happening. It's kind of like, okay, so we're saying Jupiter and Mars are highly visible in the sky at the same time that ice crystals are being lit up by lights below, city lights below the airplane at the same time that there's a delay in the response from the transponder in the plane back to the radar station, which is creating two separate targets, which the both of the uh, play, like the that the that the military base that observed it didn't interpret right away as that being the case. Mm-hmm. That they they see it as a separate object. Now, I mean, in the defense of like a radar. Uh, operator it's like you do see you see a primary return then you see like a delay in the transponder that looks like two different locations it kind of makes sense because you don't know for sure that you're pinging jl 1628 and getting it back all you see on the screen is just like the response from the transponder so that's kind of believable but it's like the fact that that's happening at the same time that Terauchi is observing these lights in the sky and plus you know you got the whole description of the first two, especially 
which how multiple that, people saw that. Yeah, I mean, the whole crew saw the first two lights, right. and you know, the descriptions between Captain Terauchi, uh, the co-pilot Tamafuji, and the engineer Sukuba, they all pretty much agreed. They all did drawings of the the lights they saw after the fact, and all the drawings were also kind of in agreement. Those drawings, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that you can just say, like, oh, that was clearly ice crystals. Yeah, I mean, it's a big of... I don't know, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, and they... Then they also, like, they don't just hate the UFO idea. They also are like, nah, there was no fucking cover-up whatsoever. No, nothing there. Nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, Jesus, you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think... Get it, God! I do think that the the cover okay, up. Okay, Coomer. Okay, Coomers. The cover up angle is like weaker in this one because yeah, there was there was like extensive press coverage, so there's like less incentive. But the incentive then becomes more of the like saying, "Oh no, yes, it's there's definitely this very simple explanation to it instead of anything else." And I don't feel like any of the explanations are really like all that holistic for the entire event. It's like class's initial debunking really only covers the mothership. Right. Uh, the FAA really seems focused on the uh, radar data. Mm-hmm. But it's like there's all this stuff happening all at once. And I don't know. I th- Sometimes I feel like skeptics are like too quick to accept that, hey, yeah, all this stuff happened at the same time. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just like, I don't know. And that's big coming from you. Yeah, right? Normally, I'm the one... You're a big skeptic. You're not a buzzkill. Yeah, normally, I'm one of the people that's out there, you know, dropping trowel and taking a shit all over these freshly cleaned pilots' uniforms because that's what gets me off, bunkfunkers. Yeah. yeah. These handsome, rugged pilots. Oh, so fucking handsome. They're beautiful uniforms and just me jumping all over them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I don't know. I, not to put Kill Hamlin in the first act here, but... Uh, oh. We're going to get a little verdict reveal here. Yeah, I mean, it just, it this kind of screams to me like they encountered some kind of secret military aircraft or something. Yeah, right? Especially those first two. Yeah. I mean, you're over Alaska. Who's near Alaska? Russia. Mm-hmm. So I mean, got... we all remember, you can see, Sarah Palin said it, you can go outside and see Russia. You can see Russia from your house. So you can bet air, airplanes can fly there. Uh, this, this, you know, and, and, Alaska is obviously very close to Russia, and so this is the middle of the Cold War, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on? These are secret spy drones. Yeah, we or don't something. know. You know, I mean, it seems a little reckless for the Air Force to, like, fly them that close in front. Although, you know, it's hard to tell exactly how far in front of the plane they were, but it does seem weird that they would get that close to a commercial airliner. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, I guess it's like, it's one of those things where the U S military is not always known for like doing the absolute smartest thing. So <laughs> people get really fucking mad when you, when you say that, but then like from stories I've heard from people who I know who are in the military yeah, and they joke about it. Like they do some, like they do some like fucking 
Like, it's like, what the fuck? Seriously, yeah. this is what's going on in the military? Yeah, I think if you talk to anybody who's like in the military, there's less like, shenanigans. Yeah, it's not like this is the most well run organization on earth. Like, but it's like, it seems like every military in the world is like that, but ours is just somehow like, I don't know, we just cobble it together. We have a huge, better. I mean, it's huge. It's like unwieldy. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, now, obviously, what they would say to that is like, this is a. If if this is military spy planes, that's probably a very different section of the military. Like, like yeah, maybe if you're in general infantry, there's a lot of shenanigans. If you're in the Marines, there's a lot of shenanigans, right. Navy. But, like, if you make your way all the way to, like, the fucking SEAL teams or the Delta teams or whatever the fuck shit you're on, like, there's probably way less shenanigans. Right. <laughs> because all the shenanigans have been wiped out due to... Uh, they're weeding Bugs out people who are prone to shenanigans like yes. you and me. Yeah, I mean, that that's what I happened. Mean, first of all, we would never be allowed to enlist to begin with. Um, number one, I can't pass any of the physical conditioning tests. And uh, number two, I'm a liability on almost every front. <laughs> like in any way you look at it, I'm a liability. Well, the thing is, is just like you're just not a team player. No, no, I don't like working in a team. Uh, I so so there's, there's always a fear with you that you're gonna jump to the other side and start working for the, you know the Taliban or what have you. Yeah, I mean I'm ISIS. coming. I'm coming for whoever's got the best offer. Like I'm, you know, I don't want to say that I'm a, a BA Baracus type, but <laughs> I definitely am like a soldier of fortune. That's right. You're a mercenary. Yeah, you're a merc, and um, that's that's where your true heart lies. And you know, part of my problem was that I know that they call the. They call the Marines the jarheads. I fucking show up with a goddamn jam jar over my head. They're fucking get the fuck out of here. It's such a shame because you brought your own equipment. I brought my own equipment. I was trying to be one step ahead. Your jam jar helmet. You brought your homemade gun. You brought my homemade 3D printed gun. Yeah. Uh, it And uh, bunk funkers. I mean, just so you get an idea of it. It's it's like it looks like an AR-15, but the end of the barrel uh, it's like there's this big node on the end of the barrel and it looks like Jack Nicholson's head and the bullets come out of his mouth. I mean, it's not it's not good to aim or shoot. It's very, very, very unwieldy. A lot of, and it, it, you know, I was going to add a, um, you know, a sound component to it where it's, it's a lot of Jack Nicholson quotes like, you can't handle the truth. Pew! Or like him as the Joker, the from the Batman movies. Here's Bullet. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, you know, it's yeah. So they kicked us out of the military. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Their loss. Yeah, yeah. They could have had all of this, baby. I mean, you and I, we could have captured Osama bin Laden pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. We could have cu- uh, captured uh, old Sandwich bin Ladle very quickly. <laughs> See, the thing is, is uh, we would have caught him. We see, obviously, when he was caught, they found him with a giant stash of pornography. Right. This is our kind of guy. We'll we sniff, know. We sniff that stuff out. Yeah. We know where the stuff's going. We got our eyes. Other people are following. CIA is analyzing the money. Soldiers, you know, they're following the trail. They're talking to locals. We know where it's at. It's the porn. The porn. We know all the dealers. Chase the. We know all the good films. All the good shit. Yeah. So we're like, uh, we're, we're, you know, porn aficionados. We're porn wounder kids. We're, uh, we're the experts in the field. We speak one language, not all that well. Uh, but 
we got other skills. So, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, but hey, yeah, you don't want us. That's fine. That's fine. We'll keep looking at porn and finding other people using porn. Um, I don't know. I don't really get like a huge UFO feel from this one. Real lack of, I don't know. It doesn't seem super extraterrestrial. Yeah, it just kind of screams military craft. I have to agree with you. Like Whereas I'm not so on- just Tron and Phoenix Phoenix Lights. Yeah. Felt very different because there was lights. Right. I don't know, some about the lights. <laughs> mm, I see. Yeah, I don't I, I I I get that I get that same kind of feeling that I had with with Phoenix Lights where it just like I agree with you. It just feels very experimental aircraft or something like like it feels very much like our military is testing something and more people saw it than they maybe hoped i mean you know it's it's right out there on alaska you got the border with russia it's just there's a lot of really plausible evidence to that then you come at me with this ice crystals business it's kind of like oh well i'm already willing to believe you just don't be so ridiculous yeah (laughs) yeah don't talk to me about ice crystals and planets and lights. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. I'm on board. Just give me the plausible shit. Yeah. I agree. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, that was, that's like one thing is like, nobody's really putting out a real detailed like explanation. And maybe it's just because these projects are very top secret. And so nobody talks about them. But, yeah. you know, it's like most of the, most of the explanations are geared toward more natural things in this, like the ice crystals or, you know, just malfunctions in the radar. And don't you think that the government would want more people believing in the UFO story than they would questioning anything else? They'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about the radar and the ice crystals and the, in the UFOs. Go for it. Argue about that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like instead of being like, Hey, is that like a secret spy plane that can travel at however many miles per hour faster than anything else? And why aren't we using that technology for other <laughs> purposes? Yeah. Rather than spying on Russia, you know, or whatever it is. That's our top priority. Keeping an eye on the USSR. Um, you know what I mean though? Yeah. Jelly bean. I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's always one thing is what, if the government's really keeping, uh, extraterrestrial visitation under wraps. There is a big question about what's the motivation. A lot of people say yeah. that oh, society breaks down if people believe there are extraterrestrials. I don't know how much I believe in that because people already believe that and they still participate in society. I mean, it's like, I don't know that it leads to total anarchy necessarily. I think we've talked about that before that does that really break people's brains so much that if the government actually came out and said, I mean, it would be one thing if the government came out and said, we actually met with extraterrestrials. Like, that would be kind of a game changer, but... Yeah, like a full-fledged official statement. Yeah. I don't... I guess I don't... You know, it gets back to this whole thing for me where I just don't believe that extraterrestrials have visited Earth. I think that there are a lot of things that happen in the sky that people people get confused about when they see them. And then I also think that there's a lot of stuff that happens that we don't know about. And it's a lot of it is military testing of, of different aircraft and things. So 
I, I look for a more earthbound explanation, but I don't always feel so satisfied by these skeptics takes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They leave you, um, they leave you wanting for more. Yeah. I just need a little more, you know, take me a little bit further. You skeptics. HPD? Come on, Phil J class. PJK. Phil J class. Oh, I'm your student. Oh, tell me more about how Jupiter and Mars are so visible. And it was a flare. Ooh, 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 ooh turbulent ice crystals. Ooh. Turbulent ice crystals. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know with this one, Andy. What else? Um, what else strikes your fancy on this guy? Uh, I got to agree with you a little bit. Um, About time. I do think, I mean, I think Captain Teruchi is pretty credible. Like, yeah, maybe he is kind of like quick to say this is a this is a UFO. Or... He got slapped on the wrist. Yeah. I mean, JL said, don't fucking talk to them, you Yeah. Don't fuck around with you. Don't tell them about this. I told you not to talk about it. Like I an mean, angry parent. I'm yeah. glad, though, that the, that the reaction to Captain Teruchi talking to the press was more interest. Yeah. From people than, than like outright just mocking Captain Teruchi. Sure. Because I don't feel like he goes into it as being like, uh, you know, some, you know, sometimes people are just more credible than others. And this is a guy who's seen a lot. You know, he's the farmer's insurance of JAL 1628. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. This show sponsored by farmers. Yeah. Uh, we so, are farmers. <laughs> That's the theme song. That's our new theme song. That's our new theme song. Say goodbye to the deep voiced unsolved mysteries, man. We are Mr. Bunker's Confusion Podcast. <laughs> and the catchy surf rock beat. Um, but I don't know. I find the crew to be kind of credible. I do and, too. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe. What does this guy have to gain from this? You know, we don't have they any. They sit there and they're like, oh, he's such a UFO believer. He so wants to be right. Like, why? Yeah. Is he releasing a book? Is he going on a book tour? <laughs> yeah, he stood to gain nothing. Like, what the fuck? He's and not what? using his military career as like a, therefore, I know about aliens. Like, which is what everybody, oh, I was a CIA guy. It's like, yeah, this is just a dude who is a pilot and that's all he is. And he saw some weird shit and he just thinks it's certain something. Yeah. And I think there is a translation barrier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think people kind of drag the crew for inconsistencies. And I don't know that that's totally fair because they are in the moment. I mean, you can read the transcripts of the the radar chatter or the the radio chatter, I should say. And I mean, you can tell like there are points where they're searching for the right word. I mean, it's not easy to speak a completely different language. And especially when you're experiencing something that's extraordinary, you maybe don't have all the right words in that language that you don't use all the time in order to say the right thing to fully communicate what you mean. But then when you could speak to somebody in your native language or you have, you can write it down, then you have the words, right. You know, to describe it better. So I think some of these things where people try to say like, Oh, the crew is giving inaccurate statements. It's, it's like, yeah, they're really trying to fucking come up with an alibi, right? Like, yeah. These guys who are trying to pilot a fucking aircraft and then also watch out for this weird thing that's following them. And then also relay instructions in English, which they don't speak. Right. It's like, come on. 
Yeah. That's why he keeps calling it a mothership. He doesn't know what else to fucking call it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all of their accounts are mostly in agreement. You know, like there's not, it's not like there's some huge disconnect. It's like minor inconsistencies that I think it's easy to say this is probably just a language barrier. Yeah. I agree with that. Fuck you, Philip J. Class. Fuck you and your dead ass body, dude. Dead ass fucking body. Fuck you, handsome Brian Dunning. You're handsome. You, you're lucky you got your good looks to rest on. Because I ain't taking shit from anything else. You're coming out of your sexy mouth. Your fucking cute little lips. Your perfect teeth. Shit. Yeah, you're lucky you didn't go to Gen Pop when you went to prison. Because everybody be all over you. Allegedly. <laughs> and with that Brian Dunning also will never come on this show <laughs> cemented uh, we'll just sit now we just do what we always do sit back and wait for our cease and desist that's right <laughs> um all right well Andy I mean I don't know I think we've 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 dissected it as well as we can um I kind of feel like this is a little bit straightforward uh, maybe if you feel that way you're entitled to feel that way Andy I'm not gonna fill J class you yeah don't don't class my class ass. your ass. Yeah, don't class my ass. Um, I guess we're saying if this was an UFO or not. Yeah, and I'm going to say that it's very plausible that it was. Wow. Because I think, I mean, at the end of the day, look, I'll leave the wiggle room to say I don't think this is totally confirmed, right? That this was definitely a craft or multiple crafts. I just kind of feel like the the descriptions given by the crew especially about the first two lights uh, that they saw. It just doesn't read like ice crystals to me. Like, I mean, this, it doesn't seem the same. Uh, so I got to believe that they saw something. I think it was a craft. I mean, the mothership is more questionable on was this an actual craft to me. Um, but at the same time, it's like that radar data is kind of weird. It went behind United 69. Like, I don't know. Um, so I'm saying for sure, I think, I mean, not for sure, but very plausible that they they actually witnessed some type of a craft, my guess, some kind of experimental test military type of deal. Okay. Boom. Tough acting to nactin. Tough acting to nactin indeed, Andy. That was uh, quite the verdict. Uh, you believe it was an UFO. It was some kind of flying, unidentified flying object. And um, and that's and that's what you... And that's what you're going with. That's it. That's my verdict. Very plausible. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say plausible plus plus that it was some kind of military craft. Some kind wow. of secret craft. Okay. But I, I agree with you. I think highly plausible that this was an, there was an act, there was something up there. Actual physical objects up there in the sky. Mm, okay. Following around. They wanted a little, maybe they did want a little dranky <laughs> drink of that one. wine. Mm, give me some Beaujolais. A couple of fancy boy aliens who want to. We love that French wine. Oh, Beaujolais. Oh, French wine. Beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, 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 boop, boop. Oh, the Beaujolais. Uh, but that's what I'm going to say. I, I think we're both in the green here. We are in the green. This we're is not, a... uh, you know, whether it's little green men or not, we don't know. But uh, definitely some kind of objects up in the sky, flying around, bothering JL 
1628. UA69. 16 UA69. Um, those were our verdicts, Bunk Funkers. Let us know what you think. Use the hashtag. Ooh. Um, Andy's got a good one. Uh, Andy's got a gun. Oh, man. What would be a good one? He's pointing it at his dick. <laughs> oh, my dick. <laughs> uh, what would be a good hashtag for this one? Um, hashtag... I would say hashtag Beaujolais Nouveau, but it's so, I mean, I don't want to make everyone try to spell Beaujolais Nouveau. I mean, um, it'll be in the show notes. Um, hashtag, uh, well, I don't want to make you spell it then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hashtag, uh, uh, what was the most fun thing? Hashtag, okay, Coomer. Hashtag, okay, Coomer. Let us know what you think. Or bonus uh, additional hashtag, oh hashtag Kumhauer. <laughs> Take your pick. Oh, yeah, come, come on, Hank. I'm trying to come on. Come on. you can't keep coming. Go on. Uncle Hank. <laughs> Hi, Uncle Hank. <laughs> Mr. Boomhauer. <laughs> uh, what was her name? Um... I want to say Lurleen, but that's the Simpsons. Leanne. Leanne. Oh, Leanne. Leanne. I'm trying to keep Coomhauer from cooming all over my keep propane and propane accessories. Coomhauer away Could from... Could you please keep it down? Bobby. He's going to give Bobby the wrong idea. Hey, Dad. I'm okay, Dad. I'm out here. I came out to coom. Dad, I talked to Mr. Coomhauer. He said he's going to let me coom. That's okay, Bobby. If you come enough, you're gonna end up like me. This is Bill. Bobby, the government's the watching government's you. Government's watching you, coom, Bobby. They're watching you. Hey, Bobby. It's me, Joseph. After after I hit puberty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm, okay, Shug, let me just call up John Redcomb. <laughs> John, John Redcomb. <laughs> He's doing it too hard. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Hank. Hank. I think it's I think it's natural part of a boy's growing up to coom. Hank. My Bobby. The biggest coomer in the whole school. Um. All right, so there you go. That's uh, one that's of our favorite segments. Art does King King of the, King of the Hill impressions. King of the Coom. King of the Coom. What were we doing? Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, the hashtag the show, okay coomer and or coomhauer. Coomhauer. Let us know what you think. Email us mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. Find us on YouTube, Mister mm-hmm. Bunkerpod on YouTube. And if you feel so inclined, you want to support the show. You want to be a patron, get access to our Patreon-only show, new episodes every single month, and access to the Bunker Discord, and access to our monthly newsletter, where you can get a little bit more into what we like, talk about shit we like, talk about fun stuff we learn, YouTube videos. We got it all. And sometimes sneak peeks when we can uh, manage to get them out, and there's good ones. Sometimes (laughs) Bunker Bunkers, there's just not good sneak peeks. So we're just not going to release it. Sometimes we just don't make good content. Yeah. Um... But you get all that for five bucks a month um, on the on the on the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Mr. Bunker Pod. 
Andy, any last words before takeoff here? Uh, no, I'm 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 buckled up. Uh, I threw my pipe out the window, and I used the bathroom two seconds ago. So wow. I'm ready to go. Well, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Um, Andy's gonna go. Andy's gonna coom, and uh, we're gonna take off. No yeah. cooming until the pilot has put the coom light on. <laughs> Oops. I can't obey all the instructions. Well, everybody's going to have to get off the plane. Well, we can sit on the tarmac for a there while. There we go. We'll taxi. So for not the titular Mr. Bunker before my sartorial. Oh. Indeed. Co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I've got whole enchilada in my tummy and I feel like loving you. Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.